Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory, Episode 6. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Now they have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today, I am welcoming my friend, Christy Tennant Crispin, and one of the things that I'm really excited about in having you listen to her today is that she is a very faithful person, and she's also an artist, but one of the things I love about her and the word that comes to mind when I think about my friend Christy is her willingness. She is willing to do crazy, amazing things, and when God whispers something in her ear, she loves to do it. And she's got a fascinating story. I intersected her story a couple years ago, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the episode. But I'm just so grateful that you can hear this part of the story because uh, this involves the idea of foster care and such an important thing that is a huge need in our country and around the world today. So uh, before I give everything away, let's welcome Christy. Hey, this is Mary with the Restory Podcast, and I am so excited to have Christy Tennant Crispin with me, which is a mouthful, three different words. Um, but we actually met when she was only Christy Tennant, and we met actually in Texas at a pre-conference for Cape Town 2010. And we uh, decided that we wanted to be friends then, and because we liked each other. And so when we went to Cape Town, which is this great big missions conference for our 9,999 other friends. Uh, <laughs> we connected there and we got to know each other really well because we were just kind of each other's friends. So anyway, Christy, thank you so much for coming on and I uh, just appreciate you sharing your story today. Oh, it's great to re- reconnect with you. And um, I just, yeah, I had such a great time with you when we were in person in Cape Town. I can't believe it's been five years already. That's so crazy. So, and your life has changed a bajillion percent in just those. Just incredibly. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. remember when we were there, um, you had been single for a while and I'm since you were born. So, I mean, you weren't dating anyone when you were four, but, right. <laughs> uh, but you had started to talk about this guy and and we had some pretty good, significant conversations about him. And uh, it was just after that, that things started to kind of turn around and change. And why don't you just give us a little picture of this amazing story and where maybe where you were before that, before you met him? Be happy to. So when you and I met, I believe I was 35. And I had just started dating or I had been dating for a few months, this man um, named Carl Crispin. But prior to that, I had been in I had been in one other very serious relationship in my, I would say my um, Christian dating years. So I had dated a lot prior to surrendering my life to Christ, even though I was a professing Christian all through that time, it wasn't until I was 24 that my life 
really became about following Christ and really became about a serious devotion to Christ. And after that period, there were several years where I probably had a crush here and there on, you know, guys I knew from doing ministry together or whatever, but I didn't have any serious relationships and I really wasn't dating. And then I I met someone and uh, fell very hard for him. And um, for about five years, believed that he was the one that I was going to marry and spend my life with. And he was a great guy serving the Lord with a lot of passion and a lot of, um, you know, I just saw so many things in him that I admired. And to this day, I still admire. But after five years of kind of being friends and dating and then being friends again and then dating, um, that ended. And when it ended, it was absolutely the most devastating thing I've ever gone through. Mm. I was um, 31 when we finally broke up or just shy of my 31st birthday. And I had been so sure that he was the one, um, everything aligned. And I've, you know, I'll just pause and say, I've talked with several women um, over the years who have this story where they were in a relationship with a guy where everything aligned, they weren't compromising anything. They weren't, you know, everything about it just seemed like this was it. This was God's goodwill for their life. And, um, and then it didn't pan out and it was, it's just devastating. And it broke me wide open. It just Mm. really, really, it was very disillusioning. It was very, um, you know, it challenged everything I understood about how we hear from God, what God chooses to reveal to us, how we can know for sure that God is speaking. And and so for several years, I spent time healing and spent time re-exploring, I guess, how I understood God. And I want to pause and say it was the sweetest time of my life also. It was the most devastating and the sweetest as God met me in that place. But three years later, I was in Seattle, Washington on a business trip, meeting some friends, um, including Jeffrey Overstreet. Um, I don't know if you know Jeffrey, but he's a fellow author of your fellow author. Yes, I know of him, but I haven't (laughs) met him yet. Okay. And I was meeting him and another friend named Lance for coffee before flying back to New York City. And they ran into a guy that they knew from college. And that, you know, just it was a very natural way for all of us to end up sitting together and talking. And that was Carl. And he and I exchanged information. And very soon after that, uh, we both knew um, that this was it. And we, we gave it a little time, but we were married almost exactly a year after we met. Yeah. Wow. And you and I saw each other that October. We weren't engaged yet. Right. But we were but we knew we had already begun that discussion. Yes, yes, yeah. you're you're getting close. So when you when you went through the first the breakup, how you said it was basically you said it was bittersweet. So how was it hard with the Lord, and how was it sweet with the Lord? Yeah, um, you know, I'll say the way it was hard with the Lord was just. I think I had. I don't want to say it was an arrogance. It was a youthful, perhaps, expectation of what God how God speaks. Mm -hmm. And it it was partly formed by being part of a charismatic and prophetic church movement, which, you know, would put a lot of stock into people's projections or senses of things or whatever. So I, and, and of course, in those circles, you can always find somebody who's going to tell you what you want to hear. That's so true. (laughs) And I'm not saying that to be dismissive. I still very much believe in, you know, the charismatic gifts and in the gifts of prophecy. And I very much do believe that they function in the church, but you have to be careful. And that's um, something that I learned through that experience. But, but I think, you know, I had this, I believe almost like an, gosh, I don't want to say entitlement, but I felt like God was 
revealing, had revealed something. And so to answer your question, sorry, getting back to the question of, of how was it hard, first of all, with God, I didn't believe that, I didn't trust that I could hear from him after that mm. because I had been so sure, like nobody could have convinced me because we ended up breaking up for a period of time, maybe about eight or nine months. And throughout that eight or nine months, everything in me believed that he was coming back, that we were going to get back together. And, um, and so I would pray into that belief. I would fast over mm. that belief. I would pray spiritual warfare type prayer over that belief. And sure enough, we did. We ended up back together after that. And so it just confirmed that I had been right all along. God had spoken. And for me to give up on that was to lose faith that God had made. It was kind of like, you know, lose faith that God would provide the ram, you know. But anyway, God, but ultimately God did not provide the ram. And that, that you know, that um, dream did die on the altar. Um, and even that was disillusioning because God's supposed to provide the ram. He's not supposed to actually take your dream, right? He's <laughs> yeah. supposed to actually crucify or kill what, what you've offered him. He just needs to know that you're willing to. Yeah, that's right. You did all the willingness part. <laughs> and I just remember being so proud of myself because I was so willing to sacrifice this dream of this marriage on the altar. And then looking back on it now, I'm like, I didn't really believe God would take it. I believed he was giving it back all along. Um, that was the hardest part, trusting prayer, trusting how prayer works. Mm -hmm. Like, can we move the hand of God over to our own will? Do I, do we even want to, you know, because like, what does prayer do anyway? I mean, if it doesn't get you, you know, what you're believing for or whatever, what does it do? And so it really just sort of put me back at ground zero on relearning what prayer is for and how it works. I mean, I, I certainly don't have it all figured out, but, um, but that definitely was called into question. And even just, does God speak to us so we can hear him? Can we trust it when we think that God's speaking and, and all of that? Um, the way it was sweet was I never grew bitter at God in all of that. I wasn't angry at him. Um, I was angry for sure, but not at God. And, and what I did in that season, I remember having a very profound moment where I just, it was almost like God lifted my head for a second and said, just look down the road and just know that there's going to come a time when you're going to be looking backward at this. What do you want to see when you look backward at this? Do you want to see you kicking against the goads and angry and bitter and hard-hearted and cynical? Do you want to see you doing that? Or do you want to see Christy on her face before Jesus worshiping in every season? Do you mm. want to look and no, I'm not a fair weather follower of Christ. You know, I I will follow you yet even when you slay me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I think that was the sweetness of it because gosh, when we do that, oh, he meets us there. <laughs> he meets us there in such beautiful and profound ways that you can only experience if you turn your face to him in a broken place. And I, I don't enjoy going through those times but I'm deeply grateful for them. It's the frustrating word that God gave me this year, which was trust. <laughs> and you say, it's a word that we throw around really flippantly, like, oh, I trust you, God. But to really, like you say, to really lay somebody or something or a dream on the altar and to truly take your hands off of it, yeah. that is such an act of trust, such a painful 
thing to do. So I'm so, I, I love that he had you look backwards or at least project yourself forward to look backwards. Cause that's kind of, I think a lot of our hopes is that we could be faithful, you know, in the midst of especially relational heartache. Cause that I think is the hardest. Like, you know, we had our home, you know, stolen from us and we lived in France and I don't, I could care less about that. It really was something stupid and I, and I could weather that very easily. But at the same time we were going through relational heartache and that was not, you know, that was the thing that would, could have made me extremely bitter and did for a period of time. So, you know, we can, we can weather the, oh, I got in a car accident, you know, maybe even a little bit better than, oh, that person betrayed me or, you know, that thing happened. And and to be clear, I was bitter, but not at God. Yeah. (laughs) My ex-boyfriend, and I can laugh about it now. I want to say this because I don't know that he'll hear it, but I just, I do want to say that part of the miracle of that whole season is that God totally healed my heart and has made us even friends again. And, And not, you know, we're not in close touch, but just such that Um, we ran into each other at a funeral and I felt genuinely so happy to see him. And Mm. it wasn't like a, you know, there wasn't like the tinge of bitterness or anything like that. It was like a a total belief that the right outcome did prevail largely thanks to his courage to make a very hard decision. Um, And, you know, I kind of just want to acknowledge that he made a very courageous and difficult decision that ultimately did, um, you know, take both of us on the path that God had for us. And, you know, so nothing was lost in that. In fact, there was only gain, but it took years and the benefit of hindsight to really come to that place. So I think that's an important message for people today, particularly single people. I think about my daughter, you know, she's 22 going to be 23. And, you know, this is a big time in her life where she starts having these kinds of relationships. And it's, it's very hard, especially when you live, you know, we're in the South, we're in kind of a marriage centric culture down here. And, and, or if you're just in the church, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to let go of something that, you know, could be your future. Yeah. And that's something, I mean, there's been a lot of conversations about this. I was 36 when I got married and I am, I, for me, it was definitely a good thing to wait, but there's, there is just such this thought that a relationship needs to be headed toward marriage to be beneficial or meaningful mm. or, um, or even righteous. And I don't believe that. I mean, certainly there are parameters, um, within dating relationships that I you know very much believe in, but I am not somebody who believes that you should only date if you are planning to marry you know, that person, or if you're even thinking right now, I'm ready to get married, you know, um, cause I think you just, you learn so much. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but that's just coming from someone who had, you know, did date a lot. <laughs> and then when I, when I met Carl, he and I had both, you know, we had been both been in different relationships and at the age we were at and with both of our experience behind us, the decision to marry was so easy. And that's another thing that I, you know, this, this other relationship I was in, there was so much like push and pull and will we, won't we, should we, you know, is this God's will, all of that. And I had several people in my life, my mom being one of them, my friend, uh, well, I'm not going to mention her name, but another friend being one of them who both said to me, you know, it just shouldn't be this hard. Like, mm. this is just an, an agonizing decision. And they were like, marriage is going to be hard enough as it is. If it's this hard to decide whether you should even get married, like, 
you know, and I didn't, didn't believe it. I bought, believed whatever was worth having was worth fighting for. And I believed that the enemy was, you know, attacking our relationship and trying to keep this amazing marriage from happening, you know, and, and then I got into my, you know, I, I, I met Carl, we started talking and it was just like, wow, like how soon can we do this thing? Yeah. <laughs> how soon can we do this? And, um, we had only, you know, we also, our entire relationship was long distance. Yes. We had several, we did have a few visits with each other. So we did get to spend time in person and I met a lot of his friends and he spent time with my friends. When he came to New York, he stayed with some of my best friends and that was great because he got to know them um, without me there, you know, and they got to know him. And, you know, um, I just think that that's a very important part of the dating process is getting to know each other's community also. And so God made a way for us to do that, even though we were bi-coastal. And, um, but we, yeah, I mean, we, we started talking on the phone in May and we were beginning the early stages of marriage planning when we were in August, so just a few months later. So. Wow. so for the listeners of Restory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. And as someone who's been commuting lately and been in the car, I'm really, really grateful for listening to things on um, my device through my car. And it's been really great. I learn a lot of things and hear some great stories. So today I would suggest that you try um, this one called The Pictures of Hollis Woods by Patricia Riley Giff. And it is a book about um, a child's perspective in foster care. So I think if that's something that really interests you, you might want to pick that one up. Um, you can download this or any other book that you've been wanting to listen to at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for your free audiobook. Wow, that is awesome. And so, um, so you got married and how was that... How was the ceremony and all of that? It was so sweet. You know, I'll just say I've been to a lot of weddings and I, I know people who are planning weddings right now. And our goal was for it to be a worship service and for it to be hospitable and fun and comfortable. Um, we wanted everybody to feel comfortable and to have a great time. And we also didn't want to spend a ton of money. So we sort of set ourselves a budget. It was a, it was a daytime wedding with a like heavy hors d'oeuvres. It was outside on a lake um, and some friends' property, so we didn't have to pay for that venue. We paid for, you know, some of the rentals and stuff. But um, it was just beautiful. It was simple, you know, just simple. After During the reception, the kids were just running around this big field, and eventually they all went down and started swimming in the lake. And my cousin put on her bathing suit. She was a licensed uh, swim coach. We had her lifeguard and we hadn't planned that, but she ended up just staying down there. And so it was like, probably one, people have told me it was like one of the best weddings for kids that they've ever been to. And now that I have kids, I can appreciate that because now we pretty much get a sitter if we're going to a wedding. Yeah. Unless <laughs> we know that it's very kid friendly. So <laughs> yeah. You know, people prepared us, oh, the first year of marriage can be so hard. And again, it could be because of our ages. It could be because of life experience. The first two years of, of marriage were actually quite easy. For us, the hard part began when we became parents. And part of that could be how we became parents. When we met and started talking about children and sort of when we were, we were very intentional in those, those phone calls to, um, to talk about the important things because we were bi-coastal. We were both, you know, older. We didn't want to be wasting time sort of having conversations if this wasn't a real, you know, possibility. And so we had this conversation about envisioning what it would look like to have kids. And I, I had the spark or the seed of becoming a foster parent had been planted when I was about 30. Mm. And there were a number of high profile cases in New York city of abuse in the foster care system and just this desperate need for, 
for foster parents. And so something was planted in me at that time. I actually even began the process of, of becoming licensed foster parent at that time, but God made it clear that that wasn't the right time for me to do that as a single woman and everything. Not because I was single, but mainly because of the lifestyle of my career. I was traveling quite a lot. Yeah, and let, let people know what your career was. Yeah, well, at that time, I was working for International Arts Movement, and I was um, doing a lot of arts advocacy and artist advocacy, so really you know, championing not just the arts, but artists particularly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I so I mentioned so I told him that I had actually I said to him I've never had a burning passion to give birth to children. There are women who really want that. I'm not one of them, and I haven't really even had a desire to be a mother. But um, but I but I have envisioned myself as a foster parent, possibly adopting. Definitely, you know, I said I could see myself having a steady stream of short term kids that just need a safe place while their parents are working stuff out, or adopting kids and. The words out of his mouth were, I love it. Mm. And from that moment on, we were aligned that this was the path we were going to take. You know, So people ask me, you know, Did, would you have biological kids if it happened? Well, sure we would, of course. <laughs> if, yeah. it, if that happened, <laughs> yes. we, we would keep them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, God, God hasn't done that, and, and that's been actually really fine. And so um, after we had been married for two years, uh, we began, we went to our first foster parenting orientation. And we began the process, and it took about six months. So we, we, had, we celebrated our second anniversary in May. We started the licensing process in July, mm-hmm. and we had our license by December, by the last day of December 2013. And we got our first two children. We got the call for them a week later, and they, they arrived on our doorstep two weeks after that. So wow. on January 13th, we, we got a brother and sister. And they're still with us, and we've adopted them. So now <laughs> so they're amazing. They're, <laughs> they're stuck with us forever. And it's been a very positive experience, but a very, very hard experience. Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you, if, if you want to, I don't know how much you want to get into foster parenting, but it is at times just hor- like excruciating. You don't want to do it unless you're called to it. Don't do it for some altruistic, you know, reasons. But if you're called to it, God will give you the grace you need. But you're going to need a lot of grace because <laughs> challenging. <laughs> Just so. from what I know about my friends that have gone through this as well as you, it's like a it's like a hellacious roller coaster of highs and lows. It is. But for us, the hardest, honestly, the hardest part has been parenting a traumatized kid. I mean, gosh, you know, I adore this, my son. I adore him. Like he is absolutely a wonder to me. He is just incredible. He is smart smarter than probably anybody ever believed. He has so much incredible talent and potential. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that just was not even, had not even begun to be tapped. But anyone in his situation, taken from their parents at the age of five, Mm. placed with strangers, Mm. then placed with more strangers, then placed with new strangers. (laughs) Oh, wow. And then, you know, and then um, just the normal challenges of parenting. I mean, on my best day, uh, you know, I'm I'm patient and I I can handle everything and I follow all of the the guidelines that we've been given in terms of like how you know every book that we've read on you know, parenting parenting period, but also parenting kids that kind of come from his background. But on my worst day, I have no patience for it, mm-hmm. and you have to have a lot of patience. You know, it's it's reward systems and sticker charts and, you know, trying to motivate positive ways. And when I'm frustrated, I motivate by shouting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just 
very honest about this because I want to say like, you know, this is not for perfect people, but you do need to know that if you're going to get into something like this, every ounce of your personal resolve will be put to the test. And you know, the level of frustration that I have been able to feel toward him at times. And it's not his fault. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is not about him at all. It's about me and my sin and my fatigue and my, you know, forgetting to pray and relying on my can-do spirit. I don't know if it's like this with all parenting. Something in me tells me that it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something in me tells me that all parents probably need to pray more and, you know, (laughs) rely on Christ more. But in our experience, particularly, we dove in with a five-year-old boy and a five-month-old baby girl. And all of the challenges that come with those ages in general, coupled with it, that you have someone who has been taken from one way of life into a brand new way of life. He doesn't know what's expected of him. And kids deal with this in different ways, you know. Um, and sometimes the ways they deal with that can just be really socially challenging. We have lost friendships that we thought would be, we thought we, we, we've lost friendships with people we thought would be with us till the, the very end. Wow. And how, how and why they ended were shocking to mm-hmm. us. And to this day, I think, you know, we talked earlier about the devastation of the relational breakup of my dating relationship, but I would say I'm still in the throes of the fallout of other types of relational brokenness and um, trying to make sense of it, trying to figure out why it happened and, you know, what could have been done differently and where's the gospel in this because we're all Christians here and, Mm -hmm. you know, and who's not showing Christ's love to whom and where did I go wrong and do I need to try to do something to fix it or or has the message been sent that it's unfixable, you know? Mm. So, I mean, yeah, I guess it's just, you know, you've you got to know that your life is going to change. And, and, and I will say this and I will say it again. It is so worth it. I would go through this 10 times to have these children and to be their mom. I can't think of a higher calling or a higher privilege. And, you know, for, as, for, for my lowest points and my lowest moments of failing to love my son well, when we have when we have the good moments, which really do outweigh the hard ones, I, I look at him and I just think, how did I get so fortunate that God would smile on me to let me be your mom, you know? And I hope that, you know, I mean, I don't know, I guess every parent, hopefully every parent probably goes through this. Um, you have your moments where you say something or, or you, you lose your temper with your kid and you're just like, gosh, did I just wound him deeper? Did I just... <laughs> We all have that fear. <laughs> yesterday, so yesterday was a particularly, I, was, I hadn't gotten much sleep and I was tired and this and that and the other. And I, you know, I shouted at my boy and, and I just felt terrible. And he comes out later and he just comes over and gives me a hug. He goes, I love you, mommy. I just love you. And I want to be with you forever. And I was <laughs> like, I just was horrible to you. And this is what you're saying to me. This is, this is backwards. Like you're supposed to be the one acting horribly and I'm supposed to be telling you that I'm going to love you forever. Yeah, that's right. So God is just humbling me, um, humbling me left and right over all of this and, uh, and, you know, fanning this passion for parenting, but particularly for foster parenting. So, so what you've had a lot of change in the past couple of years. So how would you say that God has both restored and restoried you? The restored, I think, is really bringing me back to the focus of what the gospel is, mm-hmm. the good news. And um, that that is the focus. I I spent a lot of years really deeply interested in theology and doctrine, and I still am. But at the end of it all, life is so messy and loving people is so messy. And the gospel calls us into 
like call, calls, you know, I think it's important to think through a lot of these things, but it calls us out of the textbook answers to our faith and it calls us into places we would not have expected to go. And frankly, some streams of Christianity would tell us we shouldn't go because we mm. might get tainted, you know? Right, right. And the bottom line is we're supposed to go with this great good news into hard and dark and messy places, and we will get dirty in doing that. We are not going to stay pristine. We will get dirty going into some of these hard places. And I think like the restored part is just bringing me back to the truth that the gospel is big enough for us to carry it into places and risk getting dirty for the sake of loving people mm. and loving to Christ and not needing to, to tell them where we stand on this and that and the other, but just to say, you know what, all of that is, I don't know, it's, it's about loving you with Christ's love, um, extravagantly, holy, like not holding back. So we've gotten into relationships with some folks that we wouldn't necessarily have under different circumstances and, you know, awkward and messy at times, but mm-hmm. so worth it. So, so that's the, I think that would be the restored part. Also just restoring um, my sense of mystery and wonder at God. Like I have really stopped trying to figure God out. Anytime I'm talking to some Christians or I'm reading somebody who seems a little too confident that they've figured something out, I start to just go, you know, I, I need to go back to this place. And I mean, there are certain things I'm completely sure of, but fewer things than I was, right. you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. The restoried part is <laughs> my life is absolutely not where I thought it was going to be. When I set out and moved to New York City when I was 23 with $47 in my pocket mm. and guitar and I, you know, I arrived, I was going to be a star. Mm-hmm. I was going to be a star of stage and screen. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> um, I booked my first, I booked as the world turns like two months after moving to New York. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was like, my star is on the rise, you know, gosh, you know, and then I kind of after that and sort of some, some stalls and stops and starts in my acting career, I ended up, you know, falling in love with Christ and falling in love with his mission and knowing I wasn't being called to be that in the entertainment industry. There are people who are, and they're doing it beautifully and they're friends of mine, but it wasn't me. Hmm. I realized that I couldn't handle it, the temptations and the, you know, and so I ended up, uh, you know, with a real strong passion for missions, for foreign missions and thought my next chapter. So there was Christy, the actor, professional. Mm -hmm. The next chapter was going to be Christy, the foreign missionary. And, you know, kind of that was my believed trajectory for several years. And I did ministry overseas and I loved it. And I cultivated this passion. And then God restoried me again and ended up bringing me back to New York City or keeping me in New York City when I thought I was leaving and um, working for this arts organization and combining my, my faith and my passion for the arts and creativity and people and all of that. And then that ended. And um, this new chapter began of being a, a, a mother and a full-time stay-at-home. I'm a housewife, Mary. That's what I do. <laughs> and, and full-time homemaker. And I love it. I love it. And it's hard. It's like one of the hardest things I've ever done because it can be lonely and it's hard to have the same kind of friendships because your kids are just always, always there. <laughs> yes, they are. You never go away. And, and they're awesome and wonderful and it can be just the most gratifying and, you know, wonderful thing. And then you realize, gosh, I really miss 
other women and I miss, you know, and the people my kids are hanging out with, I'm not really necessarily connecting with their moms, you know, and the moms I'm connecting with, their kids can't stand my kids or vice versa, you know. So I think um, where I'm at right now is just really appreciating and embracing the calling of wife and mother. It, it, when Carl and I were talking about all this, we both thought, I'm going to have to have some outside career all the while because this is not going to be enough for me. Um, I'm going to have to have some sort of outside job because it'll just be, it'll be too hard for me to just be fully at home and all that. And the exact opposite has been true. It's like I found a new passion and a new calling to be um, a homemaker and making our home a place that we hope will be a destination for people. You know, one of the things that we, we connected about early on was this shared vision and passion for being a house of hospitality and Mm. having people here a lot meals, community meals, um, a big table, and always having a guest room ready. That's been a passion of mine and a, and a priority and his too. And so our house has kind of become, we don't, we don't go out as much, but we have a lot of people over. We probably have people over minimum once a week, but oftentimes two or three times a week, there'll be different people around the table with us for meals or just coming in for coffee or whatever, mm. coming over to with our son. We have friends that have just been amazing. So I think um, the restoried part is just, this is not at all where I thought I was going to be. <laughs> not at all. Um, and it's, and there's no place I'd rather be, you know, it's where I belong. And I know that there are a lot of people who are surprised that I'm as much enjoying this season of homemaking, um, and mothering, you know, don't get me wrong. There's still a real passion in there for advocacy. And I'm always, I'm always like, what am I going to do next? What's mm-hmm. going to be my next thing? You know, but, but for now, this is, this is where I am. And I just love it. I love that, Christy. And I, it's, I affirm that in you and I love your heart to have an open, an open heart and an open door and an open house and hospitality. It, it echoes my own. And so that's probably why we're friends. And yes. <laughs> um, so I love that. Uh, thank you so much for being on this podcast and uh, thank you for sharing your story. I think a lot of people can resonate with kind of the restory and then restory and then restory because I think many of us have, have done that. Do you have any advice for someone who maybe is going through a transition in their lives? People in transition. You know, I think um, there's there's a picture that I have in my mind of God always calling me back. I am someone who, um, when I'm holding on to something, I'm holding tightly. And I just feel like this practice of physically opening your hands pretty much on a daily basis and saying, okay, Lord, whatever it is I've tried to take back, whether it's my plans for the future, my expectations for the future, the things I feel entitled to, um, which obviously I don't think we're entitled to much when it comes to life. I think, you know, everything is grace and everything is mercy. But um, to just practice having your hands open and, I mean, it sounds so trite, but let go and let God, you know, let him be God, which is, yeah, I mean, it is so easy to say, but in practice, it's just, um, it can be excruciating sometimes to take your Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not, I, I, that's, I don't even know who sings that song, but every now and then that line will come into my head and I'm like, oh, geez, you know. I have to do but, that. <laughs> yeah, it's just so true. And so, I don't know, I think, and transitions can be very scary because we want to know the end of the story. And yeah, we, we, I think we do feel, even though we might not admit it, I think we often feel like we are entitled to... Um, to know where God's going with this. And if you just show me where you're going, I can totally trust you. If you'll just show me where we're going. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
And, you know, to realize that, um, to, that, you know, God wants us to trust him. And the only way that that can be truly put to the test is, um, is if we don't know the outcome. And so that practice of kind of saying, I want to be able to look back on this season of unknowing and be able to say, I, I knew, I didn't know what you were going to do, but I knew it would be good. It would probably also be hard because mm-hmm. God often does hard and good things. Certainly not easy. I, I believe that, that following Jesus is, is a very not easy life um, much of the time, but so worthy and so worthwhile. And um, so, yeah, I think transitions are tough just because we don't know where we're going, but, mm. uh, but God does. And that really can be enough. It can be enough to sustain us, at least for today. And that's really all we're promised. <laughs> And yes, let's let's end it on that positive note of we can trust him right now, today. We may not know what's going on in the future, but that's okay. He's got it. He holds it. And we can look back on his faithfulness and be content today that he will take care of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. So thanks for listening to The Restory Show. I'm really grateful that you're here and that you had this um, chance together. One of the quotes that popped into my mind is, when God wants to do an impossible task, He takes an impossible person and breaks her. And I think that typifies what Christy has been through. And she's um, the more she breaks, the more she looks like Jesus. So let's, let's have that be our prayer today. And mind if I pray for you. Jesus, um, in those places where we break or in those difficult times where we're bewildered about what you're doing or we're overwhelmed with the things that you want us to do, I pray today that you would just lift burdens. You would lift the burden of money. You would lift the burden of relationships. You would lift the burden of, I don't know what I'm doing next. You would lift the burden of confusion. You would lift the burden of, I've got a wayward child. You would lift the burden of insecurity. Father, you would just lift those burdens today as my listeners are listening to this crazy prayer because I'm praying it for myself. And I pray that if there is something looming ahead and there is a big, huge, scary thing that you want my friend to do, that instead of having them look at the big, scary thing, that they would look longingly and contentedly and full of trust into your eyes, that they could do the impossible, they could walk on the water as long as they're looking into your face, into your gaze. And so forgive us, Lord, for sinking into the waves. Forgive us for always looking at the circumstances around us or being overwhelmed by the things that are around us. Instead, I pray, Jesus, that we would look into your eyes. And in that gaze, we would find ourselves, we would find our security, we would find our provision, we would find our peace, we would find our trust. So I pray that today. In Jesus, your wonderful, amazing name. So if you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to RestoryShow.com forward slash six. And may you live a brand new story this week.